Hello and welcome to the show that really should have left the poxy snow on the pitch. On today's show, we all thought Cardiff City would have fallen away by now. They haven't. Why not? Warnock? Let's find out. We were going to go to Roots Hall and watch Walsall this weekend, but we assumed the snow would have put pay to that. It didn't, and I wish it had. But we've watched the tape and we'll look at the Saddlers anyway. And hands up who thought Harry Kuehl would have been sacked by now. Yep, us too. But he hasn't, and Crawley have got an outside chance of making the playoffs. We've got all the usual stuff, the fan league, the history, the travel news, the nipple-tingling news music. It's all on the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill. All right, Matt Stanger, how are you? Good morning, very well, thank you. Are you getting over Sunday? 2-0 up, 2-Wigan, two 2-all. Two yeah, Gr- just about. It was uh, It was definitely disappointing the way we uh, took the lead and played so well in the first half, but I think Wigan deserved the point the way they came back in the second half. Were there things thrown at the TV in the Stanger household? There was, there was some screaming. Um, I had some friends around and they were all pretty shocked by my behaviour and I made them leave straight away afterwards. Nice. Sam Parkin, uh, You've never embarrassed yourself in front of guests, have you? I would imagine so, yeah, oh, on a okay. regular <laughs> basis. <laughs> Don't want to ask any more questions, but thank you very much for coming. Excuse Joe Crilly, you've definitely never hum- humiliated yourself in front of the TV, have you? Oh, no, definitely not. Or, or invited a uh, plague of ill fortune upon your own team by boasting about Leeds losing? Uh, well, yes. <laughs> I have a lot of Leeds supporting mates, and watching the game on Friday night, uh, I texted all of them and then brought upon uh, my own downfall when Bolton lost to Preston the following day. It was all going so well and uh, that Preston performance was one of our Performance of the Week nominees uh, from Matt. Matt, you'll be pleased to know you brought 25% of the audience with you. Uh, Joe, uh, who did you choose? I chose Borough in that game. I think I've learned a very vital lesson not to go against Leeds United fans on a social media poll. <laughs> Just 11% there. Um, I um, uh, picked Walsall because I didn't see that one coming. Just 25% there. Tyo, who did you pick? I went for the big game again. I can see Matt being disappointed with me, but I went for <laughs> <laughs> Fulham raced 2-0 up away at Derby and held on another one for Sessignon. So yeah, I went for Fulham's away win at Derby. And that was enough for a whopping 39% of the vote. So well done, Fulham. Bruce Keith Miller, however, um, thinks we should have nominated Grimsby, uh, who lost at Carlisle. He says, we raised our game massively and restricted Carlisle to a 2-0 win. We normally lose 3-0 away. So, uh, yeah, we, we really did miss a trick there. But that's all we've got time for on Performance of the Week, because it's time for News in Brief. Now, the Football League, according to the Daily Telegraph, has been urged by championship clubs to investigate the influence of George Mendes at Wolverhampton Wanderers. Uh, Mendes, of course, the super agent with uh, clients like Jose Mourinho, Cristiano Ronaldo and indeed half the Wolverhampton Wanderers first team. In fact, it's alleged that almost half of 25 players signed in the past 18 months have been from Mendes's Gesti Fute firm. Uh, complainants were believed to be Leeds United, Aston Villa and Derby County, so we'll keep an eye on how that one goes. Meanwhile, Birmingham City have appointed Gary Monk as their new manager on a three and a half year deal. The club is delighted to have secured the services of one of the game's brightest young managers, a club statement said. He replaces Steve Cotterill. He's the fifth manager at the club in 15 months. Uh, he brings with him former Oxford manager Pep Clotet 
and former Southampton striker James Beattie. Um, that's getting the band back together there. Peterborough named Steve Evans as their new manager. Uh, he took over shortly after we finished recording last week, resigning from Mansfield. Uh, Peterborough chairman Darren McCantney said, as soon as somebody of the calibre of Steve Evans called to register their interest in the vacant position, there was no time to waste. He's a serial promotion winner and has an incredible reputation for getting the best out of his players with a never-say-die attitude and will to win. Meanwhile, David Flitcroft has jumped ship and two places in League Two. He leaves Swindon for Mansfield and Matty Taylor's taken over at Swindon, uh, moving up from, uh, well, his playing role. Grimsby, meanwhile, it's been a very busy week, have appointed Michael Jolly as their new manager on a rolling contract. Jolly was previously manager of Swedish side Eskilstuna, but left after their relegation from the top division. Before football, he worked in investment banking, and he'll need to be on the money to turn around his new team's fortunes. The Mariners have lost their last four matches. They only scored two goals in February. That was the news in brief. Sam Parkin, busy, busy week at your old club, Swindon. It has been. Uh, f- firstly, you went a bit Kenneth Walston home there. Ian. <laughs> I'm loving it. Um, yeah, I, I was surprised when I saw the speculation on the Twitter, but actually when I'd had a little bit of time to think about it, I think it probably suits all parties in, in terms of how Flitcroft's concerned. Um, everyone hadn't particularly taken to the style of football. Um, whether he was the man if they were to get promoted to lead them in League One I would say no probably but having said that the timing and considering where they are well placed it's still upheaval that we don't really need down there to be honest Matty Taylor um, interim manager Mm. for the rest of the season How, how wise a move is that? Well, I think Matt speaks incredibly well. I think he's got the respect of all the players. He's had a very distinguished playing career. So I think the fans are pleased. My preference and what I expect is them to try and maybe get a senior figure to go alongside Matt until the end of the season. Um, Off the top of my head, there's the likes of Phil Brown, Juve Rosler, now Steve Cottrell out of work. Uh, Steve Cottrell's had a bit of a frosty relationship with Swindon because of his Bristol City tie. So not sure if that one would be a goer, but... That would be my thinking to try and get them over the line this year and obviously a bit of incentive for the manager to be kept on and maybe uh, change the style in time. But for the moment, it's just got to be a tweak here or there, Ian, because they're not too far away at the moment. Um, Peterborough are too far away from the playoffs, or are they, now that Steve Evans has come in to energise the club? Steve Evans, any good? For Peterborough? Yeah, decent appointment. Uh, obviously, uh, taking teams to promotion before, and uh, he's from the area, isn't he? I think uh, his his wife is from Peterborough, and he's lived around that area for a long time. So, uh, it's uh, really a, a decision that was quite easy for him. He was saying he was saying that he's been offered that role uh, several times in the past, and it's never quite been the right timing before. But but now, even though he had Mansfield obviously in the playoffs in League Two, it it was the right timing. Uh, even though he was apparently offered uh, a lucrative deal to take over a club abroad uh, before Peterborough nipped in there. And he was at the Walsall game uh, last week and uh, he said he was really pleased to see the uh, application of the players in that match. Obviously, the conditions were horrendous. We had a Steven Taylor playing the sweeper role. <laughs> I've made that joke a few times this week. And uh, yeah, he was really pleased and he says he definitely sees uh, enough talent there to... to uh, Mount a uh, playoff campaign. Three big characters there: Darren McCantney, Barry Fry, and now Steve Evans. That'll be interesting. Definitely keep the media happy because they're all good talkers, aren't they? And uh, uh, Steve Evans was also saying that he's going to continue uh, the focus that Peterborough have on bringing through young players as well because that's so important to that club, and uh, they've done brilliantly with that over the years. Now we love a wild card appointment here: um, Grimsby, Michael Jolly. 
interesting backstory. He did play for Barnsley uh, very briefly, um, but didn't didn't make the grade. Then he went to New York. Uh, no, sorry. Then he went to Cambridge University, where he did a degree in economics. Then he went to New York to work in finance. He's been um, manager of the Swedish side Eskilstuna. Um, and now he's at Grimsby. I guess what I'm trying to say is it's an odd choice. Yeah, it seems peculiar from the the outside, but it seems to be the way that some clubs are going. We had the story of Mark Warburton a few years ago, obviously was worked in the city at one point. Dan Machici, similarly, uh, nobody really knew who he was before he went in at MK. And likewise here, I think football's moved on a lot. A lot of people want to be involved in football, even if you've not you know, been a player or or been particularly involved in the game previously. So I think there's huge rewards, financial. And so, you know, a lot of people want to go and do their badges now and see it as a good career. And I think he spoke yesterday about uh, doing the time, putting in the, the hard yards on the training ground, and he probably deserves his opportunity. What I will say is there will always be a percentage of players probably in the dressing room who won't accept you straight away. They'll think, who, you know, who's this guy? He hasn't played. He hasn't been involved at a first-team level before. But I think that is changing. You'll always get a few dinosaurs in a dressing room. And I think I'm probably speaking with hindsight now, having four years out of the game, I probably would have questioned it while I was playing, but... I think it's the way the game's going. I think we have to just accept it and see what he can produce. Grimsby just six points above the relegation zone, so not much margin for error. Not much margin for error either at Birmingham. Let's talk about Steve Cotterell first. Um, Matt, was he unfortunate to be let go or is this long overdue? Uh, yeah, I definitely don't think he was unfortunate to be let go because it's been a pretty miserable season at St Andrews. He was perhaps... Uh, I mean, some mitigating circumstances, the fact that he was brought in after the summer business was done and Redknapp had spent all the money uh, on all Brentford's players. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he came into a difficult situation and obviously did a good job alongside Redknapp in keeping Birmingham in the championship last season. But you just look at how many goals they've scored this season. They've managed 23 in 35 matches, which is the lowest in the EFL. And to give a bit more context, which I always like to do, Rochdale, bottom of League One, have played five fewer games than Birmingham in that division, and they've scored 29. So It has been reported, Sam, that um, Cotterill had fallen out the CEO at Birmingham, um, that his complaints about a lack of recruitment had mm. been all too audible uh, on and off the training field. When you're at a club like that, where the manager's so clearly unhappy, does that filter through to everything? Yeah, I think it can do. Yeah, as soon as, soon as the players sense that there's a problem, you know, higher up the the food chain, if you like, I think that can really have a negative effect. And I, I saw his post match interview after Forest, and he, he shook the interviewer's hand, and it was like he was shaking hands at a funeral. Yeah. I think he he knew it was the end. It was the most sombre ending to an interview I've ever seen, and. They looked like they rallied a little bit at Forest. They looked like they had a few chances, but individual mistakes uh, again cost them. And that, I mean, that goal record, I think Michael Morrison's was their first in five games. I mean, he'd probably stick his mate James Beatty and Gary Monk given <laughs> half a chance. <laughs> well, let's talk about Gary Monk because it's not just Gary Monk, it's Pep Clota as well, who was. Um... You know, there, there was a lot of talk when he was at Leeds. It was Pep coming with the, the big tactical stuff and James Beattie is there as well. It's the, the old band is back together. I'm going to stick my neck out and say this is a really good appointment. I think it's a very good appointment. I, I think it's a terrible decision by Gary Monk and Pep Clotet to go to Birmingham at this oh, really? stage. Yeah, because I think... Uh, 
the way things sort of ended at Leeds, they were, you know, they they did did well last season. They went too far off the playoffs, and uh, but then the fact that they both moved on to jobs where they've failed, really, objectively speaking, since uh, mm. at Oxford and at Middlesbrough. I think you've got to be so careful about your next move and to choose Birmingham, who've had five man- managers in fifteen months, like you said at the top of the show, and. I mean, they're putting themselves in a, in a position where they could end up losing their jobs again in the summer. And and where do they go from there? Yeah, catching them at a good time, though. Yeah, Birmingham obviously, are, you know, fallen on hard times, but it's a massive, massive club. All that positivity from Monk and Clotet and Beatty, they're very active on social media, which sort of sounds, would sound like a silly thing to say five years ago. But now it's it's quite important for building up, you know, the, the momentum in the local press. Yeah, and even yesterday, I think James Beattie changed his Twitter profile picture and it seems they've got fans on side. I think there was a little bit of a disconnect between them and Steve Cottrell before. So that'll galvanise them. What I will say, there's not the time to introduce a new style or anything like that. So it's going to be about trying to motivate the players to produce better performances and try and get someone scoring some goals for Birmingham. But... Gary Monk, I mean, it's he went to to, to Middlesbrough, I think, with a reputation of being quite pragmatic at, at Leeds, and um, Steve Gibson wasn't pleased with the style of play that he introduced. So I'm not really too sure what went wrong at Middlesbrough. I think it was a large group of players couldn't get a consistent starting lineup and couldn't get consistent results. Well, if you want to find out a bit more about Gary Monk's managerial style, uh, have a listen to the Muddy Knees Media produced football manager files. Uh, you find that on iTunes. He's a big part of that. In the meantime, it's time for the uh, Championship Roundup. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with William Hill. For all the latest odds in the footballing world, check out williamhill.com or download the app. And if you don't spot something you fancy, why not tweet at William Hill using the hashtag YourOdds for your very own personalised bet. 18 plus only, be gamblerware.org and when the fun stops, stop. Championship Roundup then. Middlesbrough's Patrick Bamford made short work of Leeds United on Friday night. They have to say he had a bit of help from hapless non-stopper Felix Weidewald. Paul Heckingbottom has a job on his hands at Ellen Road. Tony Pulis is getting on with his, though. Borough just two points off the playoffs now. Sunderland are still bottom, but there were fleeting moments in their one-all draw with Millwall on Saturday when they looked almost competent. And as you just heard, Nottingham Forest beat Birmingham 2-1, the first time they've strung wins together since October. Bolton continued to teeter precariously above the drop zone after Preston came from behind to beat the Trotters 3-1. While Bristol City cling on to a playoff spot thanks to their first win in six matches, they pump plummeting Sheffield Wednesday 4-0. And as friend of the show Simon Benoob noted on Twitter, Derby are derbying to the power Derby in their promotion push. The Rams are now five games without a win after losing 2-1 to Fulham. And that's it. That didn't take too long. Um, Cardiff City, I swore blind we'd already done Cardiff City. We had to go through all the shows to find out which clubs we haven't covered. Um, And no, it turns out we hadn't. And what a season they've had, Matt, because no one expected them to come even close to the playoffs, let alone push for automatic promotion. It's incredible, isn't it, where where they are right now. And the fact that they came back from that little wobble uh, around December, the end of December there. And uh, Neil Warnock, 
targeting a record eighth promotion and he was saying uh, back in December actually about how he wasn't sure if he fancied another crack at the Premier League with all of the uh, backstabbing that goes on there in boardrooms and everything else and signed a new contract now so clearly he does fancy it and Cardiff from form and uh, it looks like they will be heading up. Have you had any Neil Warnock experiences, Sam? I played against his teams, um, probably in my Ipswich days in the, in the Championship. I've got a lot of good friends who have played under him. A lot of that Sheffield United crew I'm, I'm quite friendly with and um, they absolutely loved him. You know, yeah. I think they'd do anything for him when they're playing for him. Um, I think some of his methods are a little bit peculiar at times, but his record, second to none. And um, I just had a little look at the last couple of starting 11s and I think Sol Bamber, Greg Halford, Gary Medine, people like that. Neil Warnock can get the best out of maybe people that have had discipline problems maybe people that uh, other clubs have felt are in decline and he seems to you know get these players in and get them playing for him and get them performing and it's a uh, it's a great knack to have. Yeah, no one, no one saw this coming. We watched them earlier on in the season when they when they're up there and it's very clear that they're very physically strong. Um, there's lots and lots of pace in there. But in a division this tough, I never thought it would be enough. But it has proved enough. They they bully teams don't they they really do and uh, that's the way a lot of Warnock sides have played throughout the years and you look at the fact that they signed Gary Medine in January as well and it tells you a lot about how they intend to keep playing until the end of the season and they get a lot of balls into the box uh, they've scored the second highest number of goals from set pieces and penalties this season and uh, I mean the one stat that stood out for me uh, when I, when we were discussing this earlier was the fact that they've got the lowest passing accuracy in the division so you know they do like to play it long and then they like to have Hoylet and Mendes Lang feeding off Zohar and uh, it's, it's working really well for them Joey Crilliam of William Hilliam, Bolton Wanderers fan, of course. You had Gary Medine there. Um, what, what kind of player is he? Did, did you expect to see him spearheading a promotion-chasing team? No. When we signed him on a free a few years ago, uh, it, was, it was the season that we got relegated from the Championship. Uh, and he was famously known as Gary Medine, goal machine at Sheffield Wednesday. When he came to Bolton, he was known as Gary Medine, washing machine. Nice. Uh, that was how effective he was. But uh, he seemed to find a little bit of confidence in League One. Uh, he's very strong, he holds the ball up well, um, and he gets his head on a lot. Uh, he, I, think he, I think he'd won uh, the most aerial battles out of any player in England, out of any of the English divisions, so that's the kind of player you're getting. He's strong and he will bully defences. There, there's others in there, of course, that we haven't mentioned yet. Our, our old friend Matt Callum-Patterson from our uh, tightly fought football manager battle uh, at the set pieces. And um, what we remember about Callum Patterson in Football Manager is his long throws, and that's been a brilliant threat for Cardiff <laughs> as well. I think Neil Warnock actually said, uh, I read something about, uh, he criticised Craig Levine because uh, I think Patterson scored five goals for Cardiff this season, which is actually more than Mendes Lang, who had that goal spurt at the very start of the campaign, hasn't scored since bagging the win against Wolves in, uh, in August. But uh, Warnock had a word with Levine and said, you've sold me a guy who's brilliant going forward, but he can't defend. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Greg Halford's another one. He's been absolutely everywhere he's also got a very long throw as far as I recall um, and was responsible for one of the worst tackles I've seen this season against Bristol City in the game we saw uh, what kind of player is Greg Halford he's been everywhere and played in every position I think I tried to just touch on that a few moments ago I think he's someone that kind of divides opinion I think um, in his uh, younger years maybe he was a bit of a fan of himself but um, he had the the attributes as a footballer to, to back it up. I think he had a little bit of everything and that's why he was kind of, I think he was thrown in at Colchester at kind of 17 or something like that. And he's had a lot of moves and he's not really found a home. I know he was at Reading for a spell and, and various other places, but 
I mean, Neil Warnock is the exact type of manager who can get that that type of guy playing and playing consistently well. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think he's always had the quality, Halford. It's just about been getting it out consistently. A uh, new contract for Neil Warnock, another two years. Um, do you think he'll see it through, Matt? He seems to be really, really enjoying it, doesn't he, at Cardiff? Mm. Which, uh, which is great because, I mean, Neil Warnock is a divisive character. So, um, to, but he, I, you know, you want characters in the game and you want people that are incredibly passionate about doing the job and he's doing a fantastic job at Cardiff, a side that no one expected to be in a promotion race this season. And, uh, yeah, I think he will see it out and I think he'll he'll take them into the Premier League as well. They've got a 12-point gap uh, above seventh place Middlesbrough. 12 games to go. They've got Barnsley tonight, which you'd have to see them winning. Joe Crilly from William Hill... Are they going up? Uh, the odds certainly seem to suggest so. They're uh, eight to thirteen, so odds on to go up. They're just behind Wolves in the betting, who are one to fifty. But Wolves are on a bit of a wobble at the moment. Yeah, they're only six points back on Wolves. Can they actually go up as champions? Well, they're seven to one to do so. But Wolves, who were one to a hundred a couple of weeks ago, are now just one to ten. Yeah. And uh, what about uh, assuming they do go up? Could they stay in the Premier League for a season this time? I mean, you would expect them to be amongst the favourites uh, to go down. Um, but with Neil Warnock's experience, they'd probably be around about the even money mark, probably just a shade of odds against to go down. All right, there you go. That's Cardiff. We got there eventually. When we come back, it's the Fan League. Fan League time, um, you know the Fan League, you get it on the App Store, you get slipped with 13 games and you pick home win, away win or draw. Uh, usually just over half are Premier League games. There are five championship games on the slip, so let's have a look at them. Very difficult to call these because we've got a full run of championship games tonight, but we're looking ahead to the weekend. Cardiff against Birmingham, Matt. I'm going for a Cardiff victory and a difficult start for Gary Monk. Yeah, Absolutely. Sam? Yeah, I'd have to agree with Matt. Yeah, yeah that's, that's not a nice place for Gary Monk to go. QPR Sunderland, a tough one to call because Sunderland, they, they showed a bit against Millwall, didn't they, Matt? They did, and what screamer from Oviedo yeah, as well. where did that come from? Uh, but then hapless Sunderland defending to allow the equaliser. Uh, I'm going for a QPR victory. I'm going draw, Sam. Yeah, I'd fancy Sunderland to, to get a point. QPR have got a tough game midweek as well so I'll go for honours even I'm still not convinced they're getting out of it but this is the first time I've thought that the idea of Sunderland getting out of it is at least plausible uh, Reading leads um, miserable seasons for both clubs I'm going draw Matt uh, two mediocre festivals as well controversial Ooh, um, what have you done I'm going to go for a draw as well Sam I think too difficult for Leeds to make a run now and I think Reading desperately in need of the points I'll go for a home win Oh, interesting. All right, big game of the weekend. Aston Villa, Wolves. I think this is the game Wolves need. I think there's a bit of complacency, heavy legs. They need a, like, a local derby, a bit of pressure on. They need to be tested to get their, get their mojo back. What do you reckon, Matt? I completely agree. I think uh, they need a fiery contest like it was at Molyneux earlier in the season, and I think they'll raise the game, and I'm going to go for a Wolves win. Sam? I think they've turned up in the big games, Wolves, but I think I'll go against oh. the consensus. I'll go for a home win. All right. Um, Nottingham Forest derby, the Brian Clough derby. Uh, Forest, two wins on the bounce. Derby, derbying. What do you reckon? Well, it's one of those games, isn't it, where confidence is going to be massive and the fact that Derby have five games without a win now um, and Forest have won two on the bounce and they look pretty decent against Birmingham as well. I'm going to go for a Forest win. 
Interesting. Sam? I think it'll be entertaining. It always seems to be that fixture and um, Forrest in a good place now, but I'll go for a, a score draw. Score draw. Yeah, I think that's about right. I can't see Forrest winning three on the spin, but you never know. That was a Fan League. You find it on the App Store. You just search for Fan League. Now it's the League One Roundup. MK Dons are spiralling. Beaten 1-0 at home by Bristol Rovers, they're six points adrift of safety and haven't won since January the 6th. Rovers, by contrast, are absolutely flying. Five wins from their last eight games has given Daryl Clark's side a shot at the playoffs. A long shot, admittedly, but a shot all the same. Oldham picked up a vital win at Scunthorpe with late goals from Patrick McElhaney, thanks to a heavy deflection, and Owen Doyle handing Richie Wellinside a 2-0 win. While Ian has kindly allowed me to inform everyone that Blackburn threw away a two-goal lead to draw 2-2 with promotion (laughs) rivals Wigan. Thank you, Ian. That's all right. It just makes up for this. Dozens of hardy, dedicated Southend fans gave up their time and their sweat on Saturday morning to clear the snow from what we shall loosely refer to as a Roots Hall pitch. And what happens? Also turn up and batter us. A hat-trick from pint-sizers and Ozjima did the damage. It was the Saddlers' first away win since November. (sighs) That is the roundup, <laughs> and uh, we'll be looking at Walsall. We are looking at Walsall. Um, do you know the Walsall history, Matt? No, but I would love to. Oh, thank God for that, because the Walsall that we know and love today were the product of the beautiful union between Walsall Town and Walsall Swifts. These two star-crossed lovers have been big rivals in the late 1870s, but they came together in 1888 to form Walsall Town Swifts. They didn't quite make the cut for the Football League's inaugural season, but they were invited to join the second division in 1892, and they played their first league game at the wonderfully named Chuckery Ground against Darwin, and they lost 2-1. They missed out on re-election in 1895, came back in 1896, then left again after another failed re-election campaign in 1901. They spent 20 years in non-league, moving to Fellows Park in 1903, and then they came back in 1921 when the third division was formed. They flitted between the North and South brackets before their proudest moment, 1933. They beat the reigning champions Arsenal 2-0 in what remains one of the greatest shocks in FA Cup history. Walsall dropped into Division 4 in 1958, but bounced back up to Division 2 with back-to-back promotions in 1960 and 1961. They survived at that rarefied altitude, though, for just two seasons, and they didn't really trouble the historians too much until 1984, when they reached the semi-finals of the League Cup with another victory over Arsenal. And they held Liverpool to a two-all draw at Anfield. They couldn't repeat the feat at home, though. They lost 2-0 at Fellows Park. The goals of David Kelly pushed them back into the second flight in 88. But Kelly left for West Ham and it was one step forward, two steps back and they crashed back into the fourth division in 1990. But by this point, they built the lovely Bescott Stadium. Under the stewardship of Chris Nickel and fuelled by the goals of Carl Lightbourne, Walsall came up to the third in 95, reached the second in 99, yo-yoed, scrapped out for three straight seasons and then slid back into the third flight in 2004. And with the exception of just one season, Matt, that's where they've been ever since. Always, almost always finishing outside the top 10. It's not going to be any different this year, is it? No, it certainly looks that way. Uh, 13th at the moment and three wins off the playoffs, so I, I can't see them mounting a late push for that, despite that shock result of the weekend, which uh, yes. they played very well against Southend, it has to be said, and Southend side that were unbeaten uh, under Chris Powell before that as well, and uh, all that effort to get the snow <laughs> off the pitch and then you lose 3-0. We were supposed to go and we didn't go because I looked at the pictures and went, nah. Not a chance. Not a chance. Well, we've been early in the season, haven't we? Only a few weeks ago at South End, and we saw the pitch then, and we were like, well, if, if the pitch it looks like this now, how's it going to look after a week and a foot of snow? And it, it, it did look pretty badly, actually. It, it looks it? like a cat litter tray. 
I mean, it is it's absolutely gutted, cratered, covered in bits of sand. It's terrible. I, I can sort of understand why Walsall wouldn't want to play on it anyway, uh, but I bet they're glad they did now because um, that little chap tore Southend apart. He did, and uh, I wonder if Mark Oxley could uh, blame the pitch for that first goal. But uh, Walsall actually tried to pass it around. I thought they played it out from the back fairly well, and uh, you know they, they were confident when they had possession. They were organising defence as well, and really it was Southend that were restricted to just trying efforts. Simon Cox really trying efforts from around the edge of the box, and they they didn't really test Walsall at all. Oz Tuma, uh, five foot three in his stockings, I think. Uh, a former Dulwich Hamlet wonder kid and uh, producer Tyo. You watch Dulwich a lot, don't you? I remember watching the, uh, the, the the Turkish Messi, as he wasn't called then, mostly because he's in another short ass, and we short asses look out for each other on the <laughs> on the football pitch. But he did actually also stand out for having so much time in a you know in a in, in a tricky division, and he scored about fifty odd goals and got Dulwich into the Ryman Premier League. Then got picked up by Darren Ferguson in I think twenty fourteen it was, and Fleet would have got their own success story in uh, Jamie Vardy so uh, us Dulwich people are hanging on hanging on <laughs> to him being a pink and blue hero and I have no idea what they're doing stuck in the middle of the table when you look at the, the front two that they had uh, Oz Tuma and uh, Julian Ngoy who I've seen a few times uh, in his fleeting appearances for Stoke in my old job um, he's you know he's got it in him to be a Premier League striker and they've got those two up front um, Sam, why haven't they been kicking on this season? Why have they been so inconsistent? It's been difficult for a number of years, I think, Ian. Um, I was there for one season, not my finest hour, and I haven't got the stats in front of me, but I would probably imagine we finished 13th that season as well, <laughs> and it's been a continuation of that, really. And I think there's a little bit of discontent towards the manager. I think the ambition was a top-half finish this year, and it doesn't look like they're going to be able to achieve it. So it is strange because, I mean, that chap that you are just talking about, I saw him play at Swindon last year, Ostama, and he scored two of the best goals I've ever seen at that level. And I've never seen a player at League One level dictate everything. You know, so everything went through him the whole 90 minutes. I had a couple of friends with me, and we kind of watched open mouth. So got real ability, but... I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Um, John Whitney, the mm. current manager, played a bit with Lincoln and Hull, um, but he was a physio at Walsall when you were there. He was, yeah. He's um, he's a strong character, John. Um, used to used to dig graves, apparently. His uncle was an undertaker. And he, he if I've got him. time, I will tell you that, uh, obviously, when you're injured, you, you may be... Some days you'd like to go in and maybe have a nice massage, a little bit of treatment, maybe a cappuccino when the lads are training, if you're not you know, <laughs> too far gone in your rehab. John would have you putting on a mask, um, ski mask, gas mask, something like that, and you try and replicate high-altitude training on the treadmill or on the bike. So you'd come in in the morning and John would be like, Morning, Sammy. Going to climb Kilimanjaro this morning? And I'll be like, oh, goodness <laughs> grief. So you did not want to be injured at that club. But I think it's his mentality. He's a strong character. I don't think he's too concerned what people think about him, hence why you know he's got himself all the way up at the football club and is now uh, in, the, in the dugout. But um, I know that a few of the fans have not been too pleasant towards him recently, but he's a good bloke, so I hope he succeeds. Um, lots of homegrown players there, Matt. Uh, there are four in the starting lineup alone. Uh, goalkeeper Liam Roberts, centre-back Corey Roberts, who is very good, um, uh, Kieran Morris, and, and I think you can just about count... Uh, Maziar Kuyar, which I'm almost certainly not saying properly, who did actually start at Coventry but sort of came through the ranks at Walsall. So, I mean, that, that bodes well, doesn't it? Everyone likes a bit of that. 
Absolutely. I'll have my own crack at that. Maziar Kuya. Uh, yeah, that's, he, that's probably better. He played well on the left side, didn't he? 20 year old Afghan international. And uh, I thought Corey Roberts looked decent in the back as well, on, like we said, a, a difficult pitch with a lot of bobbling <laughs> balls. And. Uh, he, uh, he looks promising prospect, uh, still learning the game, but he spoke in January about how he's building his confidence and trying not to let mistakes affect him because I, I think he's had a few nerves before whenever he's been playing, uh, obviously, in his first full season in professional football. Um, but I think it shows a bit of confidence in Whitney maybe from higher up the pyramid as well the fact that they managed to get Ngoy from uh, Stoke mm. and also Christian Bielik from Arsenal on loan I think he's injured at the moment but the fact that Premier League managers are trusting him to develop their players that's a great sign I'm for Wolves. very surprised to see Ngoy there I thought Championship uh, would be his level maybe even you know super sub at Premier League is really really good front man I particularly enjoyed watching him desperately try and bring the ball under control when it was skittering about all over the gravel um, he yeah he was working very very hard up there so he's he's done well. Uh, Joe Crilly from William Hill. Um, there there were quotes from uh, Ostuma in the Express and Star. He says um, we've been talking about the run-in and how we can get the most points. We're trying to take every game as it comes. I feel like we can beat any team on our day. It's eleven games to go and hopefully we can get as many points as we can. He seems to think there might be an outside chance of the playoffs. Is there? Well, the, an outside possibility. Uh, they're fifty to one to make the playoffs. They're, That's uh, pretty outside, isn't it? Yeah, I mean they are behind a hell of a lot of teams in the betting, so uh, very much outside. And in terms of relegation as well, it doesn't look like they're going down. They're uh, sixteen to one on to stay in the division. All right. Well, if you want to go and see Walsall, and you should do, uh, adult tickets range between £20 and £24, uh, juniors £16, and if you want to drive, you can, because apparently there's plenty of parking at the ground, and it's £4 a car. When we come back, it's League Two Roundup. Hello, Ollie Mann here. I do a bunch of podcasts, but here's one that I think you will definitely like. It's called The Modern Man. It's a pun on my name. It's also got loads of amazing guests that you won't hear anywhere else and advice to navigate this here modern world. They probably thought that we could build the next Facebook because they, they knew so little about technology. It was a little bit like he was a phone book that had been ripped in half and so his buttocks were on the front. All you need is one headline in the sun. Yes. I emptied Santa's sacks <laughs> and my career is over. That's the modern man, M-A-N-N, with me, Ollie Mann. It's on Acast, Apple Podcasts and at modernman.co.uk. League Two Roundup. Luton Town were on their way to victory at Cambridge on Saturday and what would have been a 10-point cushion above the playoff places. But they were denied by a late Jabo Abire goal. Manager Nathan Jones knew who was to blame. Striker James Collins for getting... Nope. Referee John Brooks who sent off James Collins in the first half for dissent. It's now 15 games without a win for Grimsby, who went down 2-0 at Carlisle in Paul Wilkinson's final match as caretaker boss. And that's the only roundup. That is it. That is the end of it. But we still got Crawley. Sam, have you ever been fascinated by the backstory and history of Crawley Town? Uh, uh, since Harry Kewell's gone there and my old uh, teammate Warren Feeney, I'm much more interested than I maybe once was. Well, allow me to blow <laughs> your mind. 
Crawley Town were formed in 1896, but they didn't turn semi-professional until 1962, playing in a variety of Sussex regional divisions until then. They won a number of those evocative, scarcely observed floodlight cups that proliferate in non-league and reserve team football, but they didn't really catch anyone's eye until 1992 when they were walloped by Brighton in the FA Cup third round. Crawley were promoted to the conference from the Southern Premier in 2004 and after a takeover went full-time. And this was not their last takeover. And trying to grasp the finer details of Crawley's ownership history is not easy. They nearly went bust in 2006, but some serious money came into the club. Steve Evans, he of Boston United and Neilan Revenue, arrived in 2007. And in 2009, director Bruce Winfield announced that the club was debt-free. In 2010, Winfield and co-director Susan Carter announced that new investment from the Far East had arrived. And now things went into overdrive. Indeed, at one point, Winfield claimed that Crawley had spent more on their own than every League Two club combined. Well, they won the conference in 2011, not before giving Manchester United a scare in the FA Cup. And like so many well-funded non-league sides, they put the fourth division to the sword and went straight up again in 2012. But times have been harder since then. Evans left before that promotion and none of his successors has yet managed more than 100 games. Under the temporary stewardship of Dean Saunders, Crawley slipped out of the third division in 2015 and they've run the risk of a return to non-league football for two seasons on the spin, finishing 20th and 19th. They have new owners now, another takeover. Uh, Winfield sadly lost his battle with cancer just before Crawley were promoted into the league. In 2016, the club was bought by the Turkish businessman Zia Eren. And the arrival of Harry Kuehl this summer was met with anything from raised eyebrows to open mockery. And the doubters looked vindicated by three straight defeats in August. But on November the 21st, Crawley beat Exeter 3-1 and kick-started an extraordinary run of form. It's now 11 wins in 17 games. And from the gaping, fetid moor of the relegation zone, Kuehl has Crawley six points off the playoffs. Matt, what on earth has happened? They started scoring goals, Ian. I think that's what happened. <laughs> That'll do it. They uh, only managed two in uh, seven matches before the Exeter victory and uh, they've been flying ever since, like you say. And uh, Enzio Baldwin, he's the star for, for Crawley, a, a Dutch winger, and he's got eight in 12 games. And they've also, they're also on a record-winning run at home as well. They've won five consecutive matches at home at the Checker Trade Stadium for the first time in the Football League. Sam, there are players that you think, oh, he'd make a good manager. Mm. And then there's Harry Kuehl, who surely no one would have seen that coming. No, I don't think he would have. But I read an article he did in a. So he was interviewed that he did in the Telegraph recently, saying that he's actually preferring coaching to, to to when he was playing. So I think he's shown a, a great appetite for the game going down to to League Two. But he actually spoke about there being a lot of managers have to start a lot lower than that, and that is very much true as well. You know, it's still league football. Um, good calibre of players and I touched on his relationship with Warren Feeney which is a nice story they were apprentices together at Leeds United way back when so they've remained in touch obviously Warren uh, had a good career but down the the lower leagues and Harry Kuehl was at the top playing in the Champions League etc so they've got a good thing going there when I've seen them they try and play the right way they try and play out but they also defend properly so when the ball has to go long or has to go out of play they've got defenders in the team as well so I think they've got a nice little balance there and I think it's a really nice story and hopefully if this is his apprenticeship in coaching it leads to a really successful career higher up the ladder it's uh, they're, they're an interesting team. I watched them beat Lincoln um, from a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, we're a little bit limited on recent footage this weekend with all the games called off. Um, and, and you're right, they do play nice football. They do 
tit about with it a little bit at the back. A little bit too much, I think, at, at League Two level. But I particularly enjoyed the fact that half of their team is instantly recognisable to anyone who played Football Manager 2007 and went looking for Premier League young loanees. They've got uh, Jimmy Smith, who's forecast to be a big thing at Chelsea. Um, they've got Mark Randall uh, as well, uh, the, the similar player from Arsenal. Um, but th- these are good technical players, aren't they, Matt? They are good technical players, and uh, like Sam was saying, when when they have the ball, they do work it well, and uh, they they look to play quite wide. Actually, they like pushing the fullbacks forward and uh, and whipping balls into the box. And they signed Carlin Ahern Grant on loan from Charlton in January. Uh, I actually saw him play a couple of times for for Charlton this season, and uh, he was a regular there off the bench, really. So I was a bit surprised that that they let him go. But he scored three goals in his first three matches, and he sort of plays wide, either right or left side. So I mean, that just adds to clearly what is. Uh, Kuehl's approach there in looking to, to keep the play very wide and, and get balls into the box and use the full width of the pitch. Joe Crilly, um, if he takes a team that's finished 20th and 19th and his first season of management gets him into the playoffs, I think Harry Kuehl's going to get some phone calls in the summer or at the very least in November when sacking season begins next season. What are the odds of him sneaking into those aforementioned playoffs? Crawley aren't that far off the playoffs and they're 25-1 to 1 to, to make it into those spots. So, I mean, that... that that doesn't look a bad price Six to me. Six points off with 11 games to go and Ooh. a team in form. If you want to go see Crawley and see if um, if they can pull something that mad off, uh, you can do. They're very close to Gatwick Airport. Adult tickets range between £16 and £22. Under 21s, £11 to £14. Under 16s, £4. And under 11s for a quid. A quid! Uh, there's a car park at the stadium and it costs a fiver. So keep your eyes on that. Joe, while we got you, um, William Hill's thoughts on Villa against Wolves. This should be a great game. Uh, Villa just a shade above two to one at twenty-one to ten to win. Uh, Wolves seven to five in the draw, twenty-one to ten. Uh, I, I, it could be any one of those three. This it, one, yeah. These are uh, the two televised championship games this weekend. Are- impossible to call because you've got Forest and Derby as well which as Sam was saying is always fun even if it's not a good game because you usually get some red cards yes yeah, usually quite a feisty one um, Nottingham Forest 19 to 10 Derby 29 to 20 in the draw 9 to 4 alright thank you very much Joe Crilly from William Hill uh, listeners questions um, we, we had a lot of response to our 3G conversation Matt we did, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, and not many people agreed with us. Well, I thought it was about half and half, personally. Yeah, but I, I take criticism really badly, so it just <laughs> always seems like uh, an avalanche to me. Um, I think uh, the, the criticism was best exemplified by uh, Tom Reed, who wrote to say, 3G is fine. There you go. Told you people were agreeing. Oh, no, there's more. If you ignore players not wanting to play on them, the cancer concerns, the integrity concerns of home advantage for teams with uh, those compared to those without, the lack of studies on injuries. Yeah, apart from that, 3G is fine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's go with the serious one first. Tom did send a link to a 2016 Daily Telegraph story about 3G pitches being ripped up in Holland amid fears that the rubber crumb that you probably pulled out of your socks on a million occasions could cause cancer. Um, that was a big story at the time. But a year later, the Irish Times reported that the European Chemicals Agency, my favourite agency, uh, has allayed health fears over synthetic sports pitches with research showing that recycled tyre rubber, which is used extensively in artificial pitches, poses a very low level of risk. Uh, the ECHA were tasked by the European Commission with quantifying the potential ill effects, yada, yada, yada. Preliminary findings based on studies conclude there is no cause for concern. 
um, either for players or for workers who install. So we're we're not saying that's not a thing or it is a thing, but maybe filing carefully in the Daily Express department of things that give you cancer like rain and cats. Yeah, I've been warned not to eat those pellets before, so <laughs> stick to that advice they, and I think you'll be okay. They don't taste good. Uh, 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 interesting one though, uh, the PFA did a survey of players, Sam, uh, and 94% of players said they didn't fancy 3G pitches, citing concerns over fatigue and injuries. Um, you would have thought that if those fears were well-founded that Sutton and Maidstone would have catastrophic injury problems at all times. Um, but how did you feel, especially as a as a, an older player who's had yeah. some serious injuries? Well, my circumstances are probably different to a lot that I had a lot of injuries, a lot of operations on my ankles and towards the tail end of my career I just couldn't go on. Uh, synthetic services at all I would stay in the gym or I would do my own training elsewhere so and I know just just reading recently that it was behind Stephen Naismith former Norwich and uh, Scotland players decision not to go back to his boyhood club Kilmarnock but also but to go to Hearts instead because of that exact point Um, I think they've moved on a lot these pitches Um, if I can name check a place called Swindon Supermarine which is a a non-league club down in the West Country they've got a fantastic indoor facility I had a jog around on it. It was like grass. Really? So I think it is changing all the time. The technology, I wouldn't be able to tell you the specifics of what it's called, but it was magnificent to to just have a little trot about on. So you see the state of some of the pitches in League Two, in, and I don't feel it would be the worst thing in the world if we could get a couple of those clubs in into the Football League and, and see how they would deal with it. I'm sure that you know some of these pitches play as well as some of the grass. Well, I mean, <laughs> again, I take you back to South End. Um, and, mm. and this is the final point of integrity concerns of home advantage. Uh, obviously, all teams have a home advantage to some extent, with the possible exception of Sunderland, who seem to melt. Um, but I, I would argue that Southend have an incredible advantage at Roots Hall on the basis that they know where all the holes are. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think that that will actually change. Uh, the debate will run and run, of course. No one here is pretending to have any answers. But I think for the moment, you know, all the arguments for and against are still be siding with the option that allows clubs not just to represent their communities, but to provide facilities for them to open up and have teams of every level um, playing in there. I want to side with the option that allows clubs to be clubs, inclusive and, and welcoming. Um, but we will welcome your views as this debate continues. More listeners' questions. Mark Canary on Twitter says, Right now, how do you think the top three of the Championship would get on against the bottom three of the Premier League? Um Sam, I honestly yeah. think you could take the well, you could take Wolves, and I think they'd finish in the top ten. And I don't think Cardiff and Aston Villa would be too unduly concerned by anything south of Burnley. Yeah, I think you're right. I think Wolves uh, wouldn't have a problem, certainly with the bottom two. I think Crystal Palace are the team that occupy the third bottom spot at the moment. And when Palace have got all their players, and one player in particular, yeah. you never know. But no, I would expect Wolves to comfortably stay in the division next year. The other two. Uh, Aston Villa and Cardiff we'd be talking about I suppose I think much of a muchness really I think they I think they'd be bottom half if we stuck them in the Premier League this season but with a few additions and with both managers in situ for a little bit longer I think you know both clubs if they're the ones to go up uh, could have a good go at it next year uh, Mark Cohen writes in as well, Matt. He wants to know about Bristol City. I've pretty much written Bristol City off. Uh, Mark says, are they ready to get promoted? They won 4-0, of course, against Sheffield Wednesday. 
they did win 4-0, but it was their first winning uh, six championship matches, wasn't it? After they threw away those leads against Sunderland and uh, and Leeds. And so I think it's it's a tricky one. But I mean, if if they get a big boost of confidence from that 4-0 win over Sheffield Wednesday and manage to push on after, yeah, sort of sliding off for the last couple of months, then potentially, I, f- I think it's difficult to see. I think we're looking at, Sam was saying Fulham for automatics potentially I think Cardiff are very strong at the moment Villa have come into good form and uh, Wolves obviously are almost guaranteed to go up Alright, and uh, Keith Monaghan uh, <laughs> will Leeds ever be good again, Sam? Of course, yeah they, they will be at some point I think he's got a big job on there at the moment I think they're just a little bit short in, in terms of their squad at the moment I think uh, Lasogas come good a little bit too late. I think that Alioski's his performance has been a little bit sporadic, and obviously they've been re- heavily reliant on Saez, who's missed a, a large chunk of the season for real discipline. So it could have been better this year, but I still felt, you know, throughout that they've been a little bit off the the front runners, and that's how it's proved. But good young manager, um, giving the summer to get some new players in, get his ideas across. We'll all be anticipating them having a run at the playoffs and be bitterly disappointed when it doesn't happen again next year. All right, that was our show. If you want to contact us, you can do so through Facebook and Twitter. Also, leave us a review on iTunes. We always like those, apart from the ones where you call us names. They're not so nice, Dad. Please stop doing that. Uh, well, I've been honoured to be joined in the studio by Sam Parkin. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for having me in. And it's been reasonable to have Matt in the studio. Thank you, Matt. Thank you as always, Ian. Joe Crilly, always a pleasure. Thank you. We can find you on Twitter, can't we? Is it footy underscore Joe? It is indeed, you remember. Lovely stuff. I got there in the end, just 25 shows in. Uh, (laughs) Thanks to Social Paul for his work behind the scenes, producer Tyre for putting it all together, and you for listening, and we will see you next Tuesday. The Totally Football League show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email us at sales at muddyneesmedia.com.